0: Welcome to the Waitlist Podcast, broadcasting from the land of horses in Bourbon, Louisville, Kentucky. I am Tom, and I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague Brad. We are on the data science team here at Capture Higher Ed. Brad, what's up, man? Hey, Tom. How's it going, man? It's good. man. Good. it's good. It's finally getting to be like fall
1: outside. Yeah, it's uh, it's not bad. I, uh, I I just have something that I've got to get off my chest, like okay. right out right out of the gate. Oh, sure. Yeah, dude, Good for So it. we're in this place, and I'm looking at the Wi-Fi password, and I feel like, as a service to you know our potential listeners, that Everyone should know that the password is yzm 99 v 73 rfh Nice. Just, just in case you're out there and you need a Wi-Fi password.
0: Nice. I, I was actually at an Airbnb once, and, and the password, n- no kidding, was Johnny Fingerguns.
1: <laughs> Johnny Fingerguns.
0: Johnny Fingerguns, man. I
1: can't believe right? that. Uh, the, what a coincidence. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about Johnny Finger Guns not that long ago, and here you are saying it was the password. (laughs) That's fascinating.
0: Well, before we get too far into anything on the Weightless Podcast, we we do beer. And uh, so, um, Brad, why don't you go first this time?
1: All right, sounds good. So, uh, we're we're on a bit of a a pale ale kick, um, but I am going to be drinking a Dale's Pale Ale, Um, which is a pretty pretty common beer but I think we need to go in a a little bit in depth here. It's actually this particular can is brewed in uh, Brevard, North Carolina but um, the original Dale's Pale Ale Brewery is in Lyons, Colorado which is near and dear to my heart not only because it's close to my hometown of Denver but Lyons is also the Epicenter, and it is where the home office for Planet Bluegrass is. What? And so, Lions is are, those are the people who bring you like the Telluride Bluegrass Festival and the Folk's Festival. So um, Dale's Pale Ale has been a uh, it's been around in Colorado for a long, long time. They were also like the first people to put. New beer into cans. Yeah,
0: and that's just and,
1: gigantic and you now. You can't find hipster, find hipster beer cans. when it's
0: you know outside so, of outside of cans. Drinking really
1: dales. This, this this brings me back to uh, to simpler times when I uh, when I used to fly fish and ski a lot before I lived uh, before I lived in the Great White North uh, when I live in Colorado. So I'm gonna crack this open and I'm stoked to be drinking uh, a beer that I know and love and have for many many years.
0: Outstanding, yeah. And so I'm actually fortunate enough uh, to be drinking my my actual favorite beer, and it's been my favorite beer for the past year. And it's a Nashville beer, so where I where I live and where I'm located um, for the past several years. And it's it's from a relatively new brewery called Fat Bottom Brewery, and it's their Knockout IPA, and uh, and it's just outstanding. I love it. It's just got a just really caramel kind of kind of kind of flavor. And it's just uh, I just love it, and I love the way that they um, pretty much everything that they do in of breweries. So if you're ever in Nashville looking for kind of a cool brewery tour, uh, check out Fat Bottom. So here we go. How
1: do you spell fat? Is it, it, it is F-A-T. Is fat? It is
0: F-A-T. Okay, I got it. Got
1: a little spill there. that right?
0: So as we normally do, we like to cover all things about data, all things about technology, uh, as as the data science team here at CAPTCHA, we like to look at things maybe a little bit differently. We like to use data to do it. And we want to try to cover maybe some things that uh, a data figure or some aspect of higher education or data that you maybe haven't thought about. And so we do that through going through the numbers. And so I'm going to cover uh, a number that I think is interesting and, and Brad will as well. And so I'll go first. If that's cool. So my number is 32. And what 32 represents is the percent additional cost, if you look at your communications cost to recruit and market a student that is less interested in you. And here's how we measure that. So we, we use uh, machine learning as a way to predict um, all kinds of enrollment outcomes. So applications and enrollment and financial aid. And we, we went through uh, here at Capture and went through all of our different campaigns that we've run where we had an applicant model and looked at who did what was more highly scored and more likely to apply and those who weren't. And So when you look at students who are at the very top edge of, of, of that likelihood to apply and students that weren't, we try to see kind of what differences could we find. And one thing we found is that, um, that if you look at direct mail, for example, right, take the top two deciles, so the students who are most likely to apply, and look at the number of pieces that you send them at, in advance of them applying – and the number was really, really shocking. So, in total, on a campaign, we're, we spent about $195.82 per applicant to more or less convert that that, that student to an applicant. Uh, those are students in the top two deciles. For the students in the bottom eight deciles, uh, it cost $257.66. So that's $62, um, or 32%. So, when we talk about uh, using an, a a, a, a a predictive model a lot of people assume is like well oh, well you're gonna use it to to maybe cut your marketing lists or you know mail to certain things uh, we actually say that we actually think there's, there's another level to that too so there that you actually send less things to them primarily because they they just simply apply earlier
1: that makes nothing but intuitive sense but that is cool stuff 32% if you could save 32% on a bunch of different students that's gonna add up pretty quickly uh, so my number is. Uh, I'm actually going to make Tom guess at this because this is. Uh, okay, here we go. This is something that I, I found interesting. Tom tends to bring some serious heat to this. Uh, these these sort of uh, statistical data points, and for me, I'm like, you know, I'm going to find some sort of uh, interesting data point, but it, it's going to be much. It's going to land much more in the category of trivia, um, rather than uh, something that is going to be strategically or tactically compelling to an enrollment office. Um, but my uh, my piece of trivia today comes from um, this thing that I just discovered called Wikipedia. Interesting. And apparently, it's a .org. Interesting. Not, so no, nobody's making money on this thing, which I, I find fascinating.
0: Not, not WikiLeaks. No,
1: different than that.
0: Really different. Uh, Interesting. But
1: it's an online encyclopedia, on this thing called the internet. Whoa! Wait a minute. And what? Uh, uh, we'll discuss how groundbreaking this is later. But
0: it's like a series of tubes, right?
1: Uh, close so um i'm looking at uh, the wikipedia entry which is list of largest universities by enrollment and this is in the world um i i have a uh, personal uh, proclivity toward uh global education issues i'm i'm always interested in um, comparative and international education issues so um, here i have a list in rank order um, by enrollment globally and The university, according to Wikipedia, which I've read, can change. So um, if anyone's going to, you know, track down this number, I want to specify that this is as of today. Um, But it is the (laughs) Indira Gandhi National Open University. Uh, It is listed as having a location in Delhi, India. I mean, it was founded in 1985. It is a public institution, Hmm. which isn't super surprising for being the size that it is. Um, But, Tom, hearing all of those context clues that it is an institution in India, which is one of the world's most populous countries, um, that is a, that is an open university. Mm-hmm. Um, I have absolutely no idea exactly how they're counting this enrollment, but yeah. what would you estimate would be the enrollment for the largest university in the world? In the world.
0: I'll go 85,000. Uh,
1: so let's scroll down a little bit and give you a little bit of context on that. Um, now, I know that these are systems, but the University of California system mm-hmm. enrolls 209,000. Okay, right. So you're ridiculously far uh, off. I'm, yeah. So l- bump up the number okay. a little bit, and let's, let's give you a second uh, wow, chance. Okay.
0: And so this is a system, right? Yeah. We're not talking about the one singular okay. well, campus. Th-
1: this, I think, happens to be a uh, – you know it's, it's probably a university system. All right, so I'll go – Your own home state of, uh, of Georgia. They have uh, 318,000 people in their system. Ah, uh, okay. So we're talking so, about wow, Georgia uh, of the state compared to oh, well, India, sure. the country. Uh,
0: okay, so you know, I'm going to take your lead. Let's say
1: 380,000. The number is 3,499,000. And here's the best part, 999. Of course. At least they're, they're exact. So, get if, out. If uh, amazing, they were to enroll one more student, and I am confident that there is one more student <laughs> out there to be found, probably if they had your data point, they would realize that they can <laughs> use some, some predictive there's modeling. Some, there's some and provost. Thirty-two yeah. percent less. They there's can get some that extra
0: provost uh, out but there that's like seriously one one additional student. They they're are like in, look, I brought you three million. I mean, come on.
1: So they're one student shy of three point five million students enrolled in their institution. <laughs> that's insane. That's a lot of people.
0: That's a lot of people. (laughs)
1: Uh, Their student-to-faculty ratio is 146,000 to one, but probably not. Okay. All right. Moving forward.
0: So we're excited uh, for this podcast because it's our first interview. Uh, So we had a chance to meet uh, Zane Kondwala, who is the executive director of the Institute for advanced analytics at Bellarmine University, which is right here in Louisville. We had a chance to meet him um, really a few weeks ago and just the conversation was supposed to, I think, go like 30 minutes, and we ended up chatting for like a whole hour. And um, he's uh, got a really interesting background, um, got a really interesting perspective on trying to um, educate young data-minded folks about data science and uh, about this sort of field that we, that we love so much. So uh, we're, 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 the interview, which is pretty typical, the interview, as was the case before, uh, went, went long. So we're actually going to take this and do this in two parts. So we're going to do the first part um, right here on the, the, first, uh, the first part of this podcast and then look for the second part. Um, really interesting topic from the trough of disillusionment about the hype that's surrounding big data. Um, talks a lot about the transformation of just terms. You know, I've heard a lot of sort of enrollment managers that just they're not sure what to make of data science or big data because they've heard you know, you know that the the term was business intelligence and then it was
1: uh, OLAP cubes. Right, and we're, right. I mean, we're, we're, we've uh, we've gone through a number of uh, of different discussions, and of course Zane is going to provide some good uh, some good insight into this. So we don't want to we don't want to ruin it for for folks, um, but uh, the Long-term trend toward more data-driven decision-making, uh, Zane seems to have a, a, a pretty cool and pretty interesting perspective on, um, especially having come from um, one industry and then moved into the education sector, which is a particularly fascinating conversation that I think most of you will, um, will, will find interesting.
0: All right, so, so here you go.
1: So right here in Louisville,
0: Kentucky, Bellarmine University's Institute for Advanced Analytics was established in 2014 as the first of its kind in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. In 2014, Zane Kandwala was named the executive director of the Institute and has built up the program really from the ground up. Prior to being recruited to Bellarmine, Zane served as the head of analytic innovation in the retail marketing analytics division of J.P. Morgan Chase, as well as several years before that at Wells Fargo. The Institute he is building strives to provide a best in class analytics education and serves as a partner to a growing data science environment in Louisville and the broader southeast and we're we're excited to have you
2: no thank you glad to be here or glad to have you here actually because we're in my office today that's right that's right we're <laughs> on the
0: beautiful campus of bellman for sure right here in louisville so um so kind of give us a little bit of an idea uh to start us off what was the driving force for bellman to start the institute and specifically what attracted you from the private sector to, to lead it,
2: you know it's a bit of a long story, and I'll kind of tell you the the somewhat abbreviated version of it. But uh, you know our recently deceased president, Dr. Uh, Dr. J McGowan, um, has been had been here for you know I think better part of twenty five years or so running the the institute, and you know historically it's been a liberal arts school. Um, Almost ironically, you know, some of our, our more notable programs are actually graduate programs in, in vocational studies, very much not in the liberal arts tradition. And, and I think you're finding that that, and, and you guys are in the field of education, and you realize that a lot of liberal arts schools, not just liberal arts schools, but a lot of schools, especially small private institutions around the country, are struggling. Right. And a lot of liberal arts schools are trying to figure out their way in a world in which we still, you know, hold the liberal arts uh, tradition. Uh, to be important, but also a world in which employers are really wanting to see people get out of school with hard skills. And, and so I think that's probably one of the transitions that, that not just Bellarmine has been trying to navigate over the last you know few years, but certainly all kind of like like institutions. And, um, and in trying to do that, uh, Bellarmine experimented with a couple of different sort of technology degree ideas. We had a master's of applied IT that lasted for a few years, and I think that didn't really find its way. And so maybe two or three years ago, uh, you know, university administration, you know, our president, uh, Provost Taggart, were kind of looking for alternate ideas in that space. And uh, I think what happened is, is um, you know, one of the, the keys in the story is that they went and, and made a visit to Northern Kentucky University up in Covington, where they have established a pretty highly regarded now School of Informatics. And they're not really teaching an analytics program per se out of there, but just some more traditional informatics, a lot of computer sciences, and um, and similar programs that have been established up there, and and they've built a beautiful space for it and, and hired some pretty prominent faculty. So I think we made a trip up there and said, you know what, this is maybe something that we could replicate down here. And somehow, and then then the question is, you know, how did that pivot to be analytics? There were other subsequent visits that were made to NC State, which has a pioneering master's of science and analytics degree uh, program that they built out about seven years ago or eight years ago. And, And they're wildly successful now. They're taking in about. I think their cohort size is 120 students every year for, for a 10 month accelerated master's program, and they're taking in 120 students on the back of around 1,200, 1,300 applicants here, is the last I heard. Um, so, you know, all that said, uh, Dr. McGowan and the powers that be here decided that, you know, let's look into establishing a similar type of program here at Bellarmine. And um, the Board of Trustees, very supportive of the idea locally, uh, Humana Foundation. Um, very importantly, supportive of the idea in and of the fact that they gave us a million dollars to seed capital to start this. Mm. And so, on the backs of the seed capital and a lot of um, kind of local momentum and excitement around the program, uh, I guess they conducted a you know search for someone to lead it, and and I think that took a little bit of time. And but you know, long story short, I ended up here. I was looking for for a different challenge. I'd been in financial services for a long time. Very, and, and as as you guys I think understand, um, financial services whether traditional retail banking or insurance or, or similar industries where i think you know early adopters of, of the whole the idea of analytics and, and, and the use of data for strategic decision making purposes a lot of reasons why you, you would think that that um, that foothold would be gained there um, but you know early days 19 you know late 90s 2000, 2000 2003 is when i started at wells fargo but i was doing risk management for a couple of canadian banks before that and so, um, you know, long story short, there is, you know, after 15 or so years in financial services, looking for a different challenge, getting very excited about the emerging field of analytics education. And, and this came, you know, across my desk in a very kind of um, um, serendipitous way, actually. And, you know, thought about it, had some conversations here. was excited about it, excited about the community backing around it. And in uh, 2014 or so, I guess I started, and, and here we are
1: when you look around the country and you see kind of this, this burgeoning set of um, fields, you know, I mean, I, I don't live here in Louisville, but I see advertisements all over for Masters of Science and Business Analytics and Data Science and, you know, these online programs, all these data camps. And I mean, obviously there's a, a big um, need for this type of work that's out there. Um, I guess I would just be interested in your perspective on um, how these programs are filling what is clearly a labor force demand. Um, and I'd also be interested in, hearing your thoughts on um, whether or not we're getting to a point where it's going to equalize out and where they're all of a sudden just like in the 90s if there's going to be a glut of data scientists and we're all going to be um, we're all going to be wishing we went into something else
2: sure and, you know you read the Gartner studies on kind of you know they have the hype cycles that they produce every you know quarter Im mean, the really an annular how that works they do it in different fields and if you look at kind of the field informatics you see kind of a lot of these analytics topics and what they call the peak of inflated expectations, right? And the whole idea is from there, you often get into the trough of disillusionment when people yes. have had this overinvestment in technological spend, this whole idea of technological solutionism where some vendors will have you believe that the way you, you use your data better is just to buy these big data appliances and, and, and databases. Um, and so I think we're definitely seeing that. So I'll go back to the first part of your question in a second about the, the talent shortage and where that, that might lead and in how we're filling it. But I do think we're at a potentially Interesting. I don't I has to say risky, but but an interesting, potentially maybe precarious point in this analytics cycle, where I do think people are starting to make big investments in it. Whether in sometimes it's in labor, sometimes it's in, in hardware, sometimes it's in leadership, sometimes it's just in kind of just organizational energy and time. Um, and and analytics, as you guys understand more than you know, as well as anyone, is it's hard it's hard to do well. It's easy to do poorly. Um, and and I've seen a lot of bad analytics kind of in my career, certainly, and and I always kind of say somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you know, bad analytics is not like bad software. Bad software reveals itself pretty early in its deployment cycle, right? It just doesn't do what you expect it to do. People complain pretty quickly. Bad analytics, unfortunately, with the tools that are out there today, with Tableau that makes everything look really spiffy, bad analytics looks a lot like really good analytics, you know, (laughs) because these these tools will ingest data, they'll spit out answers, and then you can actually, you know, um, you know, put the, the window dressing and the uh, the publishing quality around those those answers, and people will make decisions around them, and it might be years before we go back, even if we have the capability to do it, to look at it retrospectively and say, you know what, that, those decisions were made on, on the back of bad analytics. And so I, I'm nervous about some of the things that I see, um, whether it's in the higher education or in other industries and how this is this going to play out because I'm, de- I'm starting to hear conversations not the conversations we want to hear but we knew they were coming around you know this whole analytics thing we've tried it it didn't work for us you know and that can mean so many different things mm-hmm. right they can do it in the absence of proper leadership in the absence of proper strategy but we're hearing a lot of it we tried it you now we went down that path we spent a few months a few years on it didn't really kind of the ROI wasn't there it didn't pay off so that's a concern that having been said so I do think what we'll, we'll get in some areas, we'll get into this trough of just loose it Now, if you're if you're the the optimistic kind of end state of the Gartner Gartner kind of hype cycle, is this whole plateau of productivity that you know you go through the trough and you come back up again, and we're more selective in our application, we're more mature in, in our kind of our understanding of the, of the tools and the applications. So maybe we get there. But I'd like to see us try to get to that plateau without having to trough down, you know, to trough out. And and so. Um, our program is still the only program in Kentucky that serves to do this in a, in a formalistic way, but you know you've probably seen there's just Coursera. I, I think you know it seems like half the courses on Coursera right now are, are data science related or analytics related. So mm-hmm. if you're the kind of person who who can be autodidactic and disciplined in that way and also has the right aptitude, there are some very viable ways of sort of self study um, into into being um, productive in this industry. Um, So we're seeing a lot of things, the online programs, as you mentioned, there's some really great ones out there. I'm also seeing on the flip side of it, some schools that are just kind of rebranding old curriculum as analytics. I think we're seeing that not just in schools, we're seeing all sorts of vendors and consultants and everybody in this space, you know, rush to market to capitalize on the buzz around the, the, you know, the nominal idea of analytics. They
0: slap a map on it. And say it's data science, right? Well, that, that's exactly it's some it. great visualizations and call it yeah. data science. That's, exa-
2: that's exactly it, and and um, that that's the challenge. And what we're calling it, like, so defining terms, you know, misuse of terminology, and then the terms change, right? So it you know, it was analytics, and then it was kind of you know, data science, and and what are, so Big data has been kind of looming, and what are, you know, for whatever that means, and and um, and so the conversation you know can be challenging at times, you know, because we, we often many conversations I have. You know, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same thing sometimes. Mm Yeah. You You can check out part two of our interview with Zane in episode four
0: of the Waitlist podcast. Until then, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Waitlist. Remember, that's W-E-I-G-H-T-L-I-S-T. And finally, we are so appreciative that you have made our show a part of your day. Um, If you like what you are hearing, please share it with your colleagues and friends. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or on SoundCloud. You can repost the show. Again, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time on the Waitlist Podcast.
1: Johnny Finger Guns.
0: The Waitlist Podcast is a supporter of the Creative Commons and open source online communities everywhere. A link to the bump music used in this podcast can be found in the show description and at capturehighered.com forward slash waitlist.